Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. This episode of The Relatable Podcast is sponsored by the International Slavery Museum. Hear the untold stories of enslaved people and learn about historical and contemporary slavery. Explore selection of contemporary artworks responding to the history of transatlantic slavery and its legacy. Located at the Royal Albert Dock in Liverpool and open Tuesday to Sunday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Welcome to the Relatable Podcast, a safe space for open and honest conversations created for Black people. This podcast explores how we relate to one another in our intimate connections, friendships, family, and everything in between. Hosted by three Caribbean women, I am Fiona, a single mom. I'm Shaween, a very near empty nester. And I'm Chantal, a free-spirited monogamist. Relatable, because a shared journey brings hope. Welcome, welcome everyone to this week's episode, a very special episode of the Relatable Podcast. We have a very amazing guest with us in the recording room, our international recording room. We are in four corners of the earth today, and we are bringing together an amazing topic about community outreach, storytelling, and water. That's just giving you guys a little bit of a sprinkling, (sighs) (laughs) a bit of a sprinkling. So we have our usual homegirls in the room, Chantal, Shoin, and myself, Fiona, but we have a very special guest. And that is Ranmali Jayavadana, who is an amazing, incredible curator, community outreach coordinator, and is part of one of the biggest and most exciting projects to hit the UK soil. And we're going to talk about that and many more stories in this very, very special episode of the Relatable Podcast. But before we do that, folks, we're going to do our usual weekly check-in. So I'm going to start with you, Shoin. How has your week been? My week has been exceptional. I don't think it could go any way, any other way. I'm sorry. I'm in the beautiful Caribbean. <laughs> <laughs> I'm rubbing it in again. I know. And I'm sorry. 
I'm sorry. And you know what? It is so beautiful. And we're recording right now. You may hear the rain outside. We're in the hurricane season. So it's lots of rain every now and then. But it just feels special. So I'm wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. And my week has been great. So yeah, over to you, Chantal. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. How has my week been? I think my week has been a continuation of last week where it felt like a month in one week. So now we're on month two. (laughs) That's how my week has felt so far. At the beginning of this year, I called in quite a few things and the things that I asked for are now coming to me. And so I'm not in a state of ingratitude, but it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. And, And especially the last few days, my days have been full to the point where someone that I'm working with on a project actually had to remind me yesterday, and you guys know how much I love food, right? But she had to remind me that I had to eat. I think it was around 11 o'clock in the morning and I hadn't had anything to eat yet. Wow. That is not me at all. And so if that gives you any insight as to how my week has been so far, that's how my week has been so far. Chantal, Miss Food Lover Extraordinaire, is forgetting to eat. Unheard of. <laughs> <laughs> not know, good. You we know laugh, that. but it's not good. You know no. that is that's that's Beyonce levels. No, no, no. Mm-hmm. Because you know what? Because I've heard that that one time Beyonce said she forgot to eat for like three days. She was working too no. so hard. I mean, I go never reach that level. But, never, ever, okay. ever will that so happen. You're at, you're at, but you are moving like Beyonce. Just look at it that way. I wish I could actually move like Beyonce, but yes. <laughs> It's the energy, the energy, 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 right? Okay. <laughs> Fiona, how has your week been? A blur, just a lot of history research in preparation for just some recordings I'm going to be doing for the Noya Caribbean podcast, and then just trying to find ways not to be sad. <laughs> oh, just because it's oh, been cold and miserable, it's like like right, summer done, right. done, summer's done, done. Mm-hmm. But I will say. Mm-hmm. This afternoon actually is quite sunny. So when I'm sitting in my kitchen for this podcast, the sun is shining, like rainbows are forming on my thing on my windows. And it's actually really nice. So I think, you know, I think the sun is shining on this episode today. So I'm very thankful for that. That's good. Very, very thankful. Very, very thankful. In some of my history research, I found some very gossipy pieces of history, some very juicy Two sisters who are fighting over a man, and one sister uh, slides the other throat. And never, was, ever, ever. It is. It was the most dramatic bit of reading I was doing this morning. Um, in in like 1905, Dominica it was actually. I was like, okay, this is saucy. <laughs> and Doctor Ranmali, before we get into your weekly check-in, I just wanted to add that your credentials right? Mm -hmm. You are community participation lead of the International Slavery Museum. That's a big deal. That is a big, big, big deal. I think that's such a beautiful position to have because of course, within our history and so on, and to be able to be working to connect the communities. I am sure your week is filled with so many things. So how has your week been? 
<laughs> Thank you very much. It's a big title. It's a lot of words as well. But it's yeah, it's an absolute honor to do the work that I do. So yeah, as you say, every week is every week is different. Every week is exciting. This week in particular has been great. I'm sort of between two bits of traveling. I was in Oslo last week for a conference run by the Federation of International Human Rights Museums. And it was a really amazing collective of people from all over the world doing amazing work uh, in heritage, shining a light on the stories that have been, you know, hidden for too long and really engaging with activism and campaigning through their work. So yeah, it's I'm, I'm glowing after that and then coming back to Liverpool this week and yeah, using all of that motivation, all that enthusiasm to push through the massive redevelopment that we're going through and that we'll um, talk about later on in the in the episode. But yeah, I'm also traveling to Belfast tomorrow for a bit of a break. So yes, I'm, nice. I'm excited nice. and pumped. Yeah, two wonderful, you know, I've been in three beautiful places this week. So yeah, it's been a good week for me. Ooh, wonderful. I love that you've built in um, some downtime for yourself to take care of self. That's so important, especially with the type of work that you engage in on a daily basis. So well done to you for that. Thank you. I can't really say that time in Belfast is ever downtime for me. I lived there for a long time and it's like a great, right. great music city. It's a great fun city. But yeah, definitely some uh, stress relief heading my way. Yeah, but even that is a version of downtime. You know, it's just kind of letting yeah. out because like as Chantal said, within the work that you do, there's a lot of heaviness as well. A lot of emotion interwoven between it all. And sometimes you need to kind of offload those things. And it's not only through doing peaceful things or going on spa breaks, but maybe it's just going to like a, a small concert and singing, you know, singing your heart out as well, you know, having just offloading those tensions as well. So it is very, very important. Agreed. So folks, we are going to be moving into our questions because we have loads. Well, not loads. <laughs> but just, we have a lot. We have a few things to go through, a few topics to go through because there's, I think what's going to be working on and happening in Liverpool and the city of Liverpool is something really, really exciting. So mm. I know that Shawin and Chantal had their questions lined up for you, Dr. Ranmali. So I'm going to head over to Shawin or Chantal to kick off with the first question. You know what, Fiona? <laughs> I actually was sat here thinking, you know, I am taking it for granted that our listeners know anything about Liverpool and even know where Liverpool is, you know, because mm. we are so, you know, between the three of us, we are so London centric because we have all three of us been based in London, even though I was born in Manchester, proud Mancunian, brap. <laughs> so I would love to start the conversation, Dr. Emily. Actually, if you could tell us a bit about Liverpool, what is the big deal about Liverpool? I've often heard it referred to as the most cultural city in the UK. I don't know if I agree with that, but then I've never lived in Liverpool. So I, I don't have context. But tell us a little about Liverpool. I mean, where to start with <laughs> Liverpool? I mean, um, it's a great question. And yeah, I think the reputation definitely precedes it. But as someone who moved here six months ago and has been sort of living and breathing Liverpool life, I can say it doesn't just live up to the hype, it absolutely exceeds it. It's got a real reputation for being like a strong worker city. I think when people think about Liverpool, they think about really strong and interwoven communities. They think about strong activism. And yes, they think about football as well, which I'm going to say is not part of my repertoire of uh, <laughs> Liverpool, but obviously it is the thing that people think of when they think of the city and the fact that 
I think historically it's been really aligned to representing the underrepresented. It's always championed the underdog. That's what the city feels like. It lives and breathes activism. It lives and breathes creativity, artistry, culture. It's a really dynamic city and it's an amazing place to live and work. But all of this is actually, it's it's interesting because it's in quite direct contrast to the development of the city in the first place. So Liverpool, as it began, was a really, really small town. It's, you know, in northwest England, it's on the river, it's on the Mersey, it's a port city. It started off as small rural development, and it was through the involvement of the port in the transatlantic slavery economy that the city really grew. Prior to its involvement in transatlantic slavery economy, it wasn't even a parish. It wasn't even big enough to have its own sort of parish community. But after it sort of it became involved in the transatlantic slavery economy, just it boomed and it grew and grew and grew. And when I say the transatlantic slavery economy, I really do mean that this city was built on that industry. Mm, it yeah. was built around the docks. It was re- built around the ships that were bought here, that were built here, that were repaired here. But it was also, you know, all the people who were involved in that even sort of on the outskirts as well. So, you know, people who are providing the wood that builds the the ships, people who are providing the housing for people who come to work here, for people providing the food and all of it is built around that central economy. So we talk about it being a really culturally rich place and a place that represents the underdog. And I absolutely, I completely believe that. But there's a real tension there between actually how the city began, who essentially profiteered from it and whose labor it was built on which is you know why it's home to the international slavery museum today because because of its centrality to the international slavery economy when i think of liverpool and thank you very much for that explanation and giving more context to our listeners for liverpool as a city and as you said why it's so important and makes so much sense that Liverpool houses the International Slavery Museum. Um, Could you tell us a little bit as to why you have been transplanted to Liverpool in the last six months? Absolutely. So I've come here for this amazing project called the Waterfront Transformation Project. And essentially what it is, it's a complete reimagining of what our waterfront space can do and what it should do. So as you said, I work at the International Slavery Museum. I'm the community participation lead there. But I actually work across the whole Waterfront Transformation Project, which encompasses several of our sites that National Museums Liverpool have at the waterfront. So for for people who aren't familiar with Liverpool, who might not have visited before, the area of Liverpool I'm talking about is called the Royal Albert Dock. And this is a part of Liverpool that is a real commercial and cultural hub. Like it's very much a destination place it's a place where people travel to because it's so it's so famous but it's also so beautiful it's a absolutely stunning site so it's right on the river mersey and honestly when i first came here for an interview for this role the idea of reimagining an entire site not just one museum but the entire site and what it could do was so exciting and after my interview I went down to the Royal Albert Dock and I was just sort of stood in that space and you know the river was there and I was I genuinely at the time I didn't think I'd get the job but I was honestly I was thinking like whoever gets to work here is so lucky to have the water right there because it's so I mean to use the words that we keep using but the water does feel transformative like I think it's a real it has transformed the city but it sort of provides a really strong metaphor for what we're trying to do with this redevelopment now and what I think the city means to a lot of people so 
to sort of give you a bit of context about where we are now, I'll sort of go back in time to talk about how the International Slavery Museum began. So we're at the Royal Albert Dock. We are in a building that's sort of a former sort of warehouse where, you know, goods from ships would have been brought in and stored. The building hosts the Merseyside Maritime Museum, and it has done since its conception in in the 1980s. And the International Slavery Museum actually began not as a museum, but as some display boards in the Merseyside Maritime Museum. It was part of a narrative that we told within the context of a larger maritime history of Liverpool. But a few text panels couldn't really do the expansive, colossal, comprehensive story of international slavery in Liverpool, any justice. And so in the 90s, a specific bespoke gallery was developed called the Transatlantic Slavery Gallery in the Maritime Museum itself. And it was an entire gallery dedicated to the transatlantic slavery economy in Liverpool and Liverpool's connections to it. It sat in the basement of the Maritime Museum and it did a lot for telling that story which at the time in the 90s people still didn't want to touch they didn't want to go near that story they didn't want to acknowledge it as part of the history let alone acknowledge it as part of their present as well but over time it became clear that going from boards to gallery even the gallery couldn't hold that story well enough it needed to be bigger it needed to be its own dedicated space and so it was through local activism in Liverpool it was Liverpool's black communities who advocated for the International Slavery Museum not to be part of the Maritime Museum but its own museum in its own right and so in 2007 the International Slavery Museum opened it opened to coincide with the bicentenary of the abolition of the Slave Trade Act and so the International Slavery Museum was its own floor in this building. It still sits there as it is at the moment. The Maritime Museum is the basement, first and second floor. And then the International Slavery Museum is the third floor of this building. But, you know, time has passed. And what we've recognised is those narratives still need to be developed. You know, it's a constant evolution from boards to galleries to museum to an expansion. It's a constant development. So we're at the phase now where we recognise that those stories that we tell in our galleries at the moment need to be expanded. But as well as that, the International Slavery Museum, it needs its own front door. Absolutely. The prestige of this story is so huge. It needs its own gateway. It needs its own threshold for people to enter and understand and place themselves in this narrative. Whereas at the moment, because it shares a building with the Maritime Museum, there's there's no space for people to do that. So what we're doing at National Museums Liverpool is that we have um, a building, which is a really iconic, amazing, stunning building, which is the first one that you come to when you enter the Albert Dock. It's called the Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Building. And it's this beautiful building with a gorgeous facade. It's got pillars. It's got everything. That's what we're going to turn into the front door of the International Slavery Museum. It sits alongside the building that currently hosts the International Slavery Museum, the Maritime Museum. So whilst that building will become the front door of the International Slavery Museum, we'll have a walkway that bridges those two buildings. And then the building that currently hosts the International Slavery Museum, Maritime Museum will be reimagined as well. So both museums will be reimagined to tell a story in a more dynamic and more expansive way. And what's really important about that is that there will be sort of the seamless integration between the International Slavery Museum and the Maritime Museum, because at the moment, I think it's really easy for people to think, oh, that's a really odd combination to have an International Slavery Museum next door to the Maritime Museum. And you could go to one, not understand the connection between the other, but actually 
we know that the story of Liverpool's maritime history is that of transatlantic slavery. Mm. And we know that Liverpool's story of transatlantic slavery is a maritime story. So this redevelopment gives us that opportunity to bridge that gap, bridge that understanding and create an integration of those narratives, which would have historically been very separate. We also know actually, even that one building can't be enough to hold that story of international slavery in, in Liverpool. And that's why we're, we're actually imagining the whole waterfront because it can't just stay in those buildings within those walls. So we have an area outside of these two buildings at the moment called the Canning Graving Docks. It's this big area of public realm. It's essentially two dry graving docks and by graving, I mean, it's where ships and boats would have been brought in to be repaired between journeys. It's a dry dock and, you know, that's still in place at the moment in Liverpool's waterfront. If you go there, it's a very public space. As I say, it's very commercial. People come there for activities and celebrations. But what you probably wouldn't encounter on that site at the moment is the fact that over 5,200 slaving voyages began at those docks. Wow, I, wait. Dr. It began at those docks. Okay, I need you to repeat that figure. Over <laughs> exactly. 5,000. 5,200 slaving voyages uh, began. Dr. Anne-Marie, I I, I just, I need you to pause for just... (laughs) Yeah, sorry, that was a lot of information. No, no. It's a big history and it's a big project. (laughs) Just a few seconds because uh, something stuck out before Mm -hmm. you, because I mean, your description and the way that you built the story of the International Slavery Museum and the links to the Maritime Museum and the importance of water within that whole context and how it relates to the journey of the enslaved people and the culture and the history of Liverpool as that city. And you said something which really, I was like, wait, you didn't think you were gonna get the job. And I am sat here listening to you really expand on my very base knowledge of this project and what you're in Liverpool to do. And I'm thinking, well, who else would have gotten the job? (laughs) So why didn't you feel like after you interviewed and you were having your moment on the Mersey? (laughs) And I keep on thinking of that song, Fairy on the Mersey, and I don't know why I know it. I think it's my mom. (laughs) But why did you feel that you hadn't gotten the job? Oh, I don't, it wasn't that I felt I hadn't got the job. I suppose I just knew that there were so many talented people doing so much amazing work at the moment that I felt like it was an amazing opportunity. But I was like, there were so many, so many incredible people who could do an incredible job here. And I didn't for one moment think that I was the best place to do that. And I think that, I think that's not sort of, talking myself down I just think that there is just so much creativity in culture in heritage at the moment some amazing driving forces for Mm. this work and obviously we stand on the shoulders of of giants Mm. the people who've done the work before us absolutely in Liverpool we've got you know Dorothy Cooyer and Eric Scott Lynch who are you know are the stalwarts of of this work and that's the reason why we even have an international slavery museum in the first place but I think that it was because the story is is so big and the work is is so expansive that I just, I just, you know. Yeah, I think what stuck out for me was the fact that you said well into the 90s that people refused to acknowledge the history. They didn't want to know about it. That stuck out for me because why wouldn't you? This is part of your history. If you're telling me over 5,000 voyages 
Over 5,000 voyages. That's a lot. Started out or took place in Liverpool. That's a massive part of this, the, the city's history. So I'm really, well, I don't want to say I'm shocked, but it also um, shows why the work you guys are doing is so important why it needs to be told, why we need those spaces, because so many things must have happened there. This is what I'm getting from it. That's precisely it, isn't it? It's it's everyone's stories. Yeah. And we very much have been built and we, we talk about the legacy of Liverpool's Black community and getting the story off the ground in sharing and sort of making space for their story to be told. Mm-hmm. But what I'm really really sort of aware of in this redevelopment and how we're going about it is that this isn't just a story for black communities in Liverpool it's not just for a story of the global majority here in Liverpool it's every person who lives and interacts with this city and more than that Liverpool was such it was at the absolute epicenter of the transatlantic slavery economy it didn't just build itself as a city it built Britain it built the world as we know it at the moment so that's why you know it's part of my role it's so exciting because all of these elements that we're redeveloping the International Slavery Museum the Maritime Museum the Cannon Graving Docks that I mentioned and we're also reconfiguring part of the Museum of Liverpool that sits on the other side of the dock opposite to these buildings is that we're co-producing all of these elements and by that I mean we're working with people on every element of the project every element of the redevelopment at every stage of it so there's not a single element that's sort of off limits that we're saying we'll do the big thinking around it you just create a display for us at the end the whole process is being co-produced and what I'm really aware of is the fact that we're working with Liverpool's communities we're working with those people that we have connections with in the absolute heartland of the International Slave Museum, those black organizations that have created us. But also with talking to people across Liverpool city region, every single community is affected by this. And more than that, we're making connections regionally as well and nationally, and also globally as well. We're making connections with people who are living the effects of Liverpool's engagement in the transatlantic slavery economy, not in Liverpool, but you know, across the world. It has a massive, if we're talking about, you know, water metaphors, the ripple effect is massive. That's exactly what came to my head. I'm like, yep. the ripple effect. And it's, again, linked back to water, right? So something that I know that Fiona has done quite a bit of work around and and research is Admiral Rodney. Yes. And in speaking of the other projects that are happening in Liverpool and the fact that the Waterfront Transformation Project is reclaiming that space and the water and, and really expanding, as you said, on the narrative. I would love Fiona to speak about some of the work that she's done around Admiral Rodney because of the links to St. Lucia and what I think collectively and especially listening to everything that you're pouring into this particular project and what Liverpool stands for. We really wanted to know what are your thoughts on changing the names or challenging as the the museum has done in a wider space like renaming the street that's named after Admiral Rodney because we know how he acquired his wealth and what he stands for and like I said Fiona has done some work around that in St. Lucia and was quite successful I think or I know (laughs) in some regards so what are your thoughts on renaming and reclaiming spaces And Fiona, if you want to jump in and just give us a little bit of the history that you have done with regards to Admiral Rodney. I am very, very passionate about Admiral Rodney because of the history of St. Lucia, 
and his involvement. So of course, growing up in St. Lucia, we have iconic areas, like one of the most popular areas in St. Lucia is called Rodney Bay. Then we have Rodney Heights. Then we have Fort Rodney. And we also have like one of the most expensive rums in St. Lucia is called Admiral Rodney. So there's a lot of prestige surrounding this name. And just by chance, as you do, like when you're just reading up some history, you fall down a rabbit hole, right? And then I found like this history of him in terms that he was an anti-abolitionist and that he was saying that slavery had to be a British institution that could, that needs to run for as long as possible. And, you know, even in his, his parliamentary records, he was seen to oppose like a bill that they're trying to pass to make even the middle passage more humane in terms of packing less people onto ships. And he was like, no, you know, try and get as like as many people onto the ships as possible. So, and, you know, saying that, you know, that black people, their life wasn't that hard in slavery and that poor British people lived a, a tougher life in the UK than enslaved people in the Caribbean. So in terms, and then also, you know, his history of looting and plundering and how it has been romanticized in terms of the Battle of the Saints, how he has recaptured a lot of the, some of the Caribbean islands from the French and reclaiming it as British, right? And he did a lot of abhorrent and horrible things. And this is a history that's never spoken about in Lucian history and Caribbean history. He's just seen as a British naval hero. So in terms of seeing that there is also a street name after him in Liverpool, and I was like, well, you know, there is that debate of should we do a name change? So I started a campaign to have the iconic Rodney Bain Senusha change to something else to in like in honor of a Senushan hero or something. And a lot of people say, well, that's historical erasure that we should keep the name. And also some people say, who cares what difference does it make? So, you know, looking at places like Rodney Street, have there been any conversations or what are your thoughts about, you know, changing the name? against someone who is not really a hero at all. He's a hero with the British Empire in terms of reclaiming land or taking land, but is he a, a, a hero of humanity? I wouldn't say so. Yeah, thank you so much for that context. I think that it's so underplayed the impact that these violences have on Black people, global majority people on a daily basis, just giving directions, walking down streets. It's there, it's it's invisible, it's silenced, but the presence is so large. And so I completely agree that it has to be addressed. We can't just pretend that these street names don't mean anything. They were created for a reason. They were named after people for a reason. So let's expand on that. Let's, let's add to that conversation. And I think that we at National Museums Liverpool are part of a, a project dedicated to Eric Scott Lynch, who's a prominent activist in Liverpool who passed away. This project is around adding that context to street names. So the first one that's been done is for William Brown Street in Liverpool, which is a really central and important street in Liverpool. It's where the public library sits. It's where our World Museum sits. It's where the Walker Art Gallery sits. And so what this adding to this conversation what we've done is we've added a plaque to the street which gives more context about William Brown and what he did and who Mm. he was and this is part of our role as you know activists as people who work in culture is to is to untangle them and say it's not a problem with one solution actually it's about unpicking all of these threads and all of these issues that are interwoven um, and adding more conversation around it yes. and so at the moment what we're doing is that 
rather than taking away or forgetting this history or erasing this person by, you know, changing their name or not talking about their involvement in the transatlantic labor economy, what we're doing is we're, we're adding to it. We're giving more context. We're giving people more opportunity to understand, to talk, to discuss. And then, you know, that's how change begins. It's by having these conversations. And then, you know, we can make those changes when we collectively come to it in a few years time, but no one's, no one's demanding that at the moment. What we're demanding is for this not to be hidden anymore, but to actually have a conversation around it and talk about it, what it means for a person who has to walk down that street every day, knowing this history. Dr. Randley, listen, you are actually speaking to oh. my soul right now. Right? <laughs> and the reason why I say this is, I'm not sure if you're aware, I know that Fiona said it at the opening that we're all located globally, we're all over the world. And so I have recently relocated to where I spent a lot of my childhood and where half of my family is from, which is Nevis. And I, I say this constantly when people ask me, oh, how's it going? Da, da, da. It is so beautiful to be literally back in my childhood home, but it's also very painful. And one of the painful things is I am constantly reminded of the slave trade. My favorite beach is named after one of the most prolific and horrific enslaved people owners, Penny, who is from Bristol. And so this Penny's Beach. The very streets, as you said, that I walk on are named after people who enslaved my ancestors. So I'm walking down Crodock Road, right? I live in Hamilton Estate, yes? And so all of these things are reminders. And I have been thinking of ways like, how can I break this? Because it's generational trauma, right? And it's colonial trauma. How do I do something in my lifetime so that when, when my nieces and nephews and, and little cousins, you know, when they're all growing up, that they no longer have to walk on these streets that are named after people who cause so much trauma for people of the Caribbean. And so by you saying that very same thing, people need to consider how does it feel for someone, a Black person, a person of color, whose family is linked to the slave trade because their ancestors were enslaved, how does it feel for them to walk down Rodney Street? It's really as simple as that. Can we consider the constant re-traumatizing? I don't even know if I made that word up, <laughs> but can, <laughs> can we consider that? So when I said you were speaking to my soul, I absolutely mean that. So I just, I had to, I had to intervene and just. And I, just I think for me, it's immortalizing them. Mm. it's immortalizing these people who did so much damage but at the same time i understand why they're being immortalized by the people who they did the damage for by the country who they did the damage for so who benefited from from the work they did so of course immortalize them however we have to live through that we have we we constantly have that reminder but yeah i think ramily it is definitely about educating and letting people know and opening up that conversation because yeah. it won't just happen overnight if yeah. you know about it that's when something can be done but if they don't know mm. I mean I didn't know well I knew who Admiral Rodney was but I didn't know in depth 
what he was about until we started speaking about it and we started looking at the research and the history and stuff like that. So it's about opening up and having these conversations. And I'm really happy to know that this is happening at the International Slavery Museum. I really am happy that these works are being done. Precisely, yeah, precisely that saying that it's not gonna happen overnight. And quite frankly, I don't want it to happen overnight. It's hundreds, hundreds of years of oppression hundreds of years of discrimination of racism of the legacies of transatlantic slavery that we still live in and if it changes overnight it's not gonna no, it's, it's not gonna solve it it's never gonna be the answer no it won't it won't and it won't have the effect either exactly because there'll be so many it will be a small a small mi- minority of people wanting to cause the change or to change mm. things the majority will not agree with it so they'll never accept it unless they know unless the education happens, the re-education happens and that will take time and this is why your work is so important yes and we appreciate it so much <laughs> and like I am sat here like who else would they have given the job to? <laughs> but what I I really you know and I I really want to and not that I want to move away from this part of the conversation but in going with the flow and I said that on purpose water in going with the flow and looking at the waterfront transformation project can you let me know how much of that will involve the Windrush story. I can't tell you that because it's not up to me. (laughs) It's not, but okay. So do you see why that would also be an important branch of that particular story? Absolutely. And it will definitely, definitely be something that undoubtedly comes up when we speak to people, when we bring people together and we talk about, well, what, what is the timeline? Which areas of legacy do we focus on? And absolutely, the Windrush generation, they're there in the gallery as it stands at the moment, but undoubtedly people want to expand on that story and and sort of really talk about that, this era of legacy, uh, starting with Windrush generation. But I think what excites me most about the project is that I can't tell you what's gonna be in the museum. I can't Mm. tell you what stories that we're gonna tell. And like genuinely that is, so exciting for me because as I say it's all co-produced and it means that whilst we understand what we have in our collections whilst we are doing the research to understand the history and you know have a really robust understanding of Liverpool transatlantic slavery and the world as we know it today whilst we're working really hard to understand what we have in our collection what we don't have in our collection where those areas of silence are what we then do is we present that you know, we, we lay that out and say, this is what we know. This is what we don't know. Mm-hmm. Which areas resonate to you? Which areas do you feel absolutely need to be talked about in an international slavery museum? Where have we missed? What do we even, what do we not even know about yeah. that should be on the table here? And I think genuinely that is the most exciting part of this project is that I feel like myself and my team and, you know, the amazing team that I work with on this project, we're mm. just conduits. We're just sort of holding space, creating a platform, creating whatever resources that we can so Mm. that other people, community members, local community members, national community members, international community members can fill that space and tell us, well, this is how I imagine the story of Liverpool and transatlantic slavery to be. This is how I imagine that space, not just sharing that story, but enacting on it. How does it become an activist 
led institution what does a campaigning museum look like and that will all be shaped by the conversations we're, ha we're having at the moment and that will continue to have until uh, the doors of the new international slavery museum and the maritime museum open in a few years I could imagine the sort of things that will come out, the sort of stories, the sort of the different angles, you know, the different types of history. It's just, it could be wild. It could be really, really, when I say wild, like, wow. Huge, um, exactly. Um, from different, from very different aspects. Mm. Um, we were looking at doing some, a little bit of research and Fiona, we came across this one about Windrush, since we were on Windrush, mm -hmm. one of the people who came on the RAF Windrush in HMT Windrush, sorry, not RAF, um, <laughs> in 1948. Mm -hmm. He joined the RAF at 14. Yes, right. his name was Harold Phillips. Mm -hmm. yeah, and he joined the RAF at 14 on his brother's passport. And this man went on to become, he was a veteran from Trinidad. He mm -hmm. went on to become Lord Woodbine. And how does that tie into Liverpool? Mm -hmm. This man helped smuggle Mm -hmm. Yeah, he helped smuggle George Harrison from the Beatles. Yes, from the Beatles. Yeah. At the start, at the very start of the Beatles. The Beatles was not even a thing yet. Mm -hmm. And he they were just starting out. And because he was so young, he couldn't get in. But because Lord Woodbine, he was a veteran, he helped smuggle him across to Hamburg to get them to perform and do little mm -hmm. bits and pieces. And it, it kick-started it kickstarted the Beatles from Hamburg. Ham I think something to do with the Beatles being kickstarted when yeah. they started going across to Hamburg yeah. and getting yeah. um, all signatures on and blah, blah, blah. But however, you could see how even with Windrush, something so iconic as the Beatles, we and had something to do with it. We push it. We want to understand. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and how do we tie in all these little stories? How do we let people know about them? How do, how do we do that? And it's through this work again. So I hope... I hope Lord Woodbine gets a little a little corner. He gets a, just a little corner. He gets um, a when, when, when... <laughs> I mean that's incredible. It really I mean, like, and I love the fact that it always comes back to Liverpool. Like and every it's, really... it's it's that six degrees of separation. Absolutely. Every person in, in the world, every yes. story, every invention. <laughs> <laughs> you can link it back to Liverpool, what we think of as the start of a story. But, mm. you know, what this project does, it, it you know, it uncovers the layers and layers and layers beneath that one story that we might hold in our collective imagination. And it really holds us to account to actually interrogate how did this come about? Who was actually involved? And yeah, more often than not, it's black people, it's people from the global majority, it's people who've been historically marginalized, mm. who've been written out of those stories. And yeah, that's, as you say, exactly. that's the exciting part of bringing people together because I didn't know that story, but like, this is I what my days are like. People just tell me amazing <laughs> things and I, and I get to sit and enjoy and learn. And yeah, that's part of the amazing experience of being part of this project. Okay, folks, so for this week's Under the Mango Tree, we leave you with the hauntingly beautiful audio from Jupiter's Song by Caleb Brooks, which is currently being exhibited in the Martin Luther King Building as part of the International Slavery Museum. This exhibition will be up until the 30th of October this year. Jupiter's Song is an exhibition based on the Earl Collection in the archive at the Slavery Museum. For the most part, we have 
personal narratives and experiences of people once they've arrived on a plantation. The intention was to go into the museum, open up the archives and hopefully capture some of these voices. But what I ended up finding was that there was only the perspectives of slave traders, merchants, captains, aristocracy. Also specifically in the Earl Collection, there's a book called The Log of Unity. It was the Unity ship that departed from Liverpool and then went onward to Holland, where it picked up a shipment of cowrie shells, and then went on to Old Calibor to pick up about 425 people that would be enslaved. And in that document, I was able to identify nine people that were enslaved on the ship, but only at the time of their death. I really felt like there needed to be a cross-cultural connection between Africa and Liverpool specifically. Super last minute, I hit up my friend Anna, who's based in Kenya, and she ended up using NASA recordings of Jupiter and all these different like folkloric songs that actually speak to acknowledging people after death. And so it, it, it's been quite a beautiful collaborative experience as well. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. I love it. So, you know... The Waterfront Transformation Project, which may be a project that brings me back to the UK for a few weeks because I just absolutely, just learning more about it today has really excited me. And I do have family that live just outside Liverpool. I have family that live in the world. So I've been to Liverpool, the city, a few times. And my mom loves Liverpool because showing mm-hmm. mom loves the Beatles. So she'll be very happy listening to this episode. She'll be very smug, in fact. <laughs> And she is absolutely a child of the winner's generation. So it all fits together for her. How do people get involved in the Waterfront Project? How does that work? Absolutely. So at the moment, we're we're talking to people. We're out there. We're in community spaces across Mm -hmm. Liverpool. We're inviting people to our spaces as well. We're creating.
creating events for people to come to, to learn about the project, to share their stories, to, you know, tell us what they want to see in a museum and to really sort of be engaged in particular aspects. You know, for okay. some people, it might be, yeah, those those stories that we don't know about because they're a history enthusiast. They might have, you know, researched themselves. But mm. for some people, it's that idea of, well, what does what does space feel like what do I want to feel when I walk into the International Slavery Museum and so for me my job is is linking people up to those teams to those designers whoever it is that can work with them to create what the new museum will look like so for the moment keep an eye out on what we're doing through our website through our social media platforms to see what events that we're holding we're holding big you know conversation events in person but over time I'll be developing more sort of digital stuff so people can nice. can get involved online we have an email address which is waterfront transformation mm-hmm. at liverpoolmuseums.org.uk so people can get in touch that way but it is an evolving project so what excites me is that you know someone might be listening to this podcast when it comes out you know but also if someone catches us you know six months 12 months later yes you'll be able to get involved in the same way there's no closed door on when you can be involved in this project co-production as I said it means that it's at every stage for the entire lifetime of the project so whenever you hear about it whenever you wherever you encounter the waterfront transformation project it's never too late to be involved oh I love that there is wonderful in that right it's wonderful and so what we'll do to show you Sorry, go ahead, Sherwin. No, I'm saying especially work with the youth because I know there's a project on that's starting soon, I believe, Ranmali, um, where you will be engaging with the youth in the community. Yeah, absolutely. So we're um so part of one of the strands that we're working on is you know we're we're identifying different demographics that might want to work with us that we could work with and young people as a big part of that and we want to engage you know not young people as sort of like a group in themselves but actually be like young people who are interested in history young people who might be you know local young people who are artists and to make sure that we have young people represented in every single one of the groups that we're working with and not just sort of siloed as one group unto themselves. I really love that it's um, an intergenerational project as well yeah because for me that is it when we're working with community for me that is the most important aspect. If we're talking about community, it has to be intergenerational so that everyone's experiences are included in the narrative that's been built, included in the information that's been shared, because then that gives everyone a chance to connect and to learn as well. And so I think what, well, I know for sure, Sherwin is going to include all the information in the show notes. And we always appeal to our listeners, make sure you read the show notes. Sherwin works really hard on the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) I hope it's been written. (laughs) Right? So Sherwin will definitely include the links to the projects, the website, social media presence, everything in the show notes. And Dr. Ranali, you know, before we actually wrap up the show, there's a little thing that we do where we speak about what has brought us joy in the week leading up to our conversations. And so I would love to know from you, leading up to this conversation, the last few days, what has brought you joy? And it doesn't have to be related to your project, but it absolutely can be. So what has brought you joy this week? 
Oh, it's such a beautiful question. And I've loved listening to your answers in past episodes as well, because it's it's just such a lovely insight into everyone's life and how each of us take care of ourselves. For me this week, my partner was visiting Liverpool. And one of the lovely things, you know, we went out, we explored, you know, we went out for dinner and stuff like that. But one of the moments that really brought me joy was I was just oiling my hair in the evening. I was in the bathroom, sort of stood in front of the mirror. And he just came in with his book and uh, with a glass of wine. He just sort of sat with me and read whilst I oiled, oiled my hair. And I was like, oh, this is, this is wow. lovely. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. that would bring me a lot of joy too, eh? <laughs> you brought us joy right now. That was, uh, what a lovely moment for both you and your yeah, partner. Yeah, thank you. It's our anniversary you. today as well. So maybe I'm just oh, feeling very loved yeah. Happy anniversary. Happy anniversary. Oh, wow. <laughs> Thank Amazing. you. Amazing. <laughs> what has brought you joy this week? Boy. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. Uh-oh. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. I don't want to jinx anything. So okay. I don't want to speak about what's bringing me a lot of joy this week. Okay. But what I will say, what I will say is this week, new people come into my life. Aww. New people. I've met new people, making new friends. And I've, I've said before, I mean, I'm in St. Lucia, a lot of my friends from school, they're overseas. You know, you grow up, you grow apart from people you've not seen. So I, I have my family, obviously, here. But to say friends, I don't have that many friends in St. Um, Lucia. I understand so that. Yeah. I've made some new friends this week and I'm really excited about where it will go. And yeah, just looking forward to that. That's oh, it. That's, that's what's bringing me joy. New people coming into my life. I love that. I love. <laughs> what about Antal? What about me? <laughs> what about me and the week that has been a month? What has brought me joy is I actually spent some time with one of my old classmates, Jocelyn Elliott. I'm going to name her. Yes, I am. She, she'll be cringing when she listens. <laughs> I finally got to spend some time with her and it was so lovely just reminiscing on school days and what was really beautiful, you know, because it's the small things that really impact people. And she brought up an incident where I had defended her over something. And it's, it wasn't even a big thing, well, not to me, right? But I was very adamant in my defense of her over this very little thing. And, you know, she said to me, Shani, I'll never forget wow. that. And we were teenagers, so you must know. <laughs> Mm. it was what we now we can see well I didn't feel like it was a big deal but she just said in that moment she felt like wow this is my real friend you know Mm. this is a real friend she is literally putting her neck on a block for me and defending me and I was like put you really and I shared with her One of the things that I carried with me, even when I moved to the UK, she has a beautiful singing voice. And I remember her boyfriend at the time, we were just about to graduate and her boyfriend's family had a record shop. And this is back in the day of wax, (laughs) record vinyl. And we were (laughs) listening to Whitney Houston. And I think it was, I want to dance with somebody. And that was the A side, right? And the B-side was this song called This Is Your Moment of Truth. And she then went on to perform that song at a, at a local talent show or something. And her voice was so beautiful that the audience was stunned into silence. Wow. Because people didn't know that she could sing. And I remember that 
there was some point in the pandemic at the beginning of the pandemic and I was filling up my Spotify playlist and I looked for that song and I played it and it brought me so much joy and so I was <laughs> able to share that with her and say girl and we just went, it was just a beautiful time spent with an old friend so that definitely brought me joy now I know that Fiona unfortunately had to dip out I don't know if she's managed to come back but if not <laughs> If not, I will share Fiona's joy on behalf of her. So let's check in. No, she hasn't managed to come back, but that's okay. I know that an amazing opportunity has come Fiona's way to do a project, to collaborate with a beloved friend of ours who I wish I could name, but I can't. So I'm going to stay mom. And it's such an exciting project. <laughs> you joking. I'm going to stay mom. I can't, I can't. But I know that Fiona <laughs> is really excited about it. And although she said at the beginning that she's dealing with seasonal affective disorder, which we will explore further in some upcoming episodes, but I know that that little nugget of news, the fact that she's getting to collaborate with a dear friend and a friend of the podcast has brought Fiona a lot of joy this week. So I am speaking on her behalf because we know. <laughs> Wow. <laughs> because we know. But Dr. Ranmali, we're coming towards the end of the show. And we're going to leave one last question for you. If there were one thing, one thing that you would like to share about the project, which you feel would generate even more interest, because I mean, I'm sat here like, hmm, how can I get over to the UK? <laughs> how can I spend some time with my family? who live just outside the great city of Liverpool. If there were just one thing that you would like to say to people to really encourage them to engage with the project, what would that be? I think it'd be that it's not the project. It's not our project. It genuinely is your project. And when I say your, I mean, each individual mm-hmm. who reads about it, who listens to this, who encounters it. I mean it so sincerely. This project can only thrive and we can only deliver what people want if Mm. you get involved. So we have a huge amount of talent. We have amazing world-renowned architects. We've got Sir David Ajay. We've got, you know, Tiesta Gates doing artistic intervention at the Canning Graving Dock. We have have all of this world-class talent, but honestly we are there to be a platform for you and it will only work if you get involved. So if there is any element of you that wants to share a story or you don't even have a story to share, you just want to hear more and learn about what we're doing, please do get in touch because we'll only be as strong as every person who puts themselves forward for this. And I will do my best absolutely to make sure that it's as easy and accessible for people to get involved Mm-hmm. But I cannot emphasize enough. It's not a project that's being led by the museum. It's it's a project that's being led by communities. So please do get involved if you're interested. And can I ask, you do not have to be in or from Liverpool to take part? No. As I said, it's about understanding what this history means to all mm-hmm. of us. And we okay. are the International Slavery Museum. We okay. have our heart in Liverpool, mm-hmm. in you know the Liverpool 8 community. But we understand that the ramifications of what we do, it impacts the world. So, you know, you don't have to be from Liverpool. You don't have to be from Northwest. Anyone who who wants to be involved, please do get in touch because I would love to hear from you. 
Wonderful. Wonderful. Love that so much, honestly. And so, you know, listeners, you heard it here. Get in touch. Get involved. You don't have to be a Liverpudlian. Is that how you pronounce it? Liverpudlian. Liverpudlian. Yeah. Liverpool, we love you. I am not disrespecting you. Well, let's make that clear, okay? And so before we go, we do want to remind our listeners that you can listen to all of our episodes on all the most amazing podcast platforms. We're available on Spotify, Apple, Google Play, Amazon Music, SoundCloud, wherever you get your podcast fix. And do remember, a shared journey brings Brings home. home. (laughs) Bye, everyone. Bye. Relatable, because a shared journey brings hope.